You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Elise Perry reports on the lack of affordable housing in Bloomington, the prevalence of homelessness, and the resources to fight it. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB, hosted and produced by Richard Fish. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. During the December 5th meeting of the Bloomington Board of Public Works, Assistant City Attorney Alexandria Pratt made a case for a memorandum of understanding for a lease buyout of the Monroe County Humane Association. Uh, So the city and the Monroe County Humane Association, or MCHA, uh, are seeking to terminate a lease agreement. Um, under that agreement, the MCHA was leasing a, por- a portion of the animal sh- shelter facility rent-free for 40 years uh, in exchange for transferring its property rights to the city. And under the Memorandum of Understanding that is currently pending in front of the board, um, <clears throat> That agreement will be terminated, and the city will pay the MCHA uh, $95,000 as compensation for uh, the rest of that period of 20 years. Um, And the funding for the purchase will come from the appropriation ordinance that is scheduled for first reading for tomorrow in front of city council. Board member Kyla Cox-Deckard asked how the amount of money for the buyout was settled. Pratt responded. I was trying to discern uh, how we came to the um, amount of money uh, that we're paying. Um, So I believe the amount was the negotiated amount between the parties. Uh, The RAF estimate was $100,000. And after negotiations, that that amount uh, came down to $95,000. Cox Deckard posed a question regarding the language of the agreement where it touches on modifications to the structure. Director of Animal Care and Control, Virgil Souter, further explained how they arrived at the amount of $95,000 and what the modifications clause means in the agreement. In the original agreement, there was some language about, um, you know, any kind of modifications or any adjustments that might need to be made. Is, is that... Is all of that resolved? Maybe that has something to do with the negotiation um, of the amount. But I just wanted to confirm that any outstanding, you know, modifications to the structure or something that needed to be adjusted at this point um, has been taken care of. Sure. Um, here's Virgil who can answer this. 
Hi, Virtual Salary Director of Animal Care and Control. Um, for both those questions, yeah, every modification stuff that's um, taken care of, there hasn't been modifications that have been done to the place actually were done as part of the last renovations um, that we undertook at the shelter. Um, so they were city-led um, renovations. And then as far as the negotiated amount, um, that amount that we negotiated, um, we were basically looking at the original lease amount as kind of our base point. So we actually came in under what um, the actual buyout would be if we were to move and have to provide that amount for the, the association. Um, so that amount, um, if we were to, according to the old language of the contract, was about a hundred thousand one hundred dollars would have been that what the buyout but through the agreement it was that we ended up at the ninety five. The board approved the agreement by a unanimous vote. It will advance to the city council for their consideration. The Bloomington Board of Public Works will meet again for its regular session on December 19th. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Elise Perry reports on the lack of affordable housing in Bloomington, the prevalence of homelessness, and the resources to fight it. We turn to Elise Perry for more. A lot has happened this year in the unhoused community. City ordinances passed prohibiting tents and parks in August. The Wheeler Mission Women's Shelter closed in September, and the Board of Zoning Appeals approved a new beacon shelter in November. With these changes brings the question, what has been the impact? According to a point-in-time, or pit count, taken in January of 2021, there are currently 335 unhoused people in Bloomington. Most are single men, however, there are also some women and children. While some of these people are able to find homes after a short amount of time, Many are chronically homeless, meaning they're often unhoused for an entire year. According to Reverend Forrest Gilmore, the executive director of Beacon Inc., homelessness is a struggle all year as people look for shelter, housing, employment, and health care. However, he says winter adds even more obstacles. The winter adds a whole other flavor to it, which is it makes it, you know, dangerous and cold, um, you know, and, and uh, potentially life-threatening in some circumstances so that's um, that's just a whole other level of challenge as we as we head into the, the cold season here experiencing homelessness often occurs due to a combination of many circumstances Gilmore said homelessness doesn't come from just one issue so there's all kinds of different reasons of why someone may have had a home and then that doesn't have it and that can be economic that could be um, domestic violence, that could be a, an emergency like a flood or a fire, that could be um, you know, a mold or something like that, that could be um, you know, issues with substance use or mental illness. There's, there's all kinds of possibilities for why someone uh, ends up homeless. And, and also, you know, just to be straightforward, the biggest challenge we have is that we have, you know, we have a huge affordability problem. It's just, it's just uh, massive. And, the vast majority of people struggling with homelessness is at the core of it. It's just an affordability issue. 
the director of housing security for the Heading Home Initiative, Mary Morgan, agreed that homelessness often spawns from financial troubles. Many people are just, you know, one crisis away from losing their housing. And I, I think that for the vast majority of people, you know, it might happen because it might be happen because maybe you have a medical emergency or because, you know, you, uh, your transportation breaks down and you lose your job because you can't get to your job and then you can't pay your rent and then things sort of just cascade. And a lot of it is just um, systemic to our society. There are two main ways that unhoused people live. The first is street homelessness. This entails living in tents, cars, parks, or other spaces not necessarily meant for long-term housing. Tent encampments are one of the most common shelter types for people experiencing street homelessness. One might wonder why someone would choose to live in a tent rather than going to a shelter. Morgan says it's for personal comfort. Some people feel uncomfortable staying in an enclosed area, in a, in a shelter. Um, some people don't want to follow the rules of an emergency shelter. Um, sometimes there are couples that want to stay together, and they might not be able to do that in a shelter here. Sometimes people just have a community that they want to be around. And I think there are a lot of different reasons. And, you know, it's true in any community, not just Bloomington. Over the summer, the city of Bloomington passed tent ordinances restricting overnight camping in public spaces. These ordinances made it illegal for homeless encampments to exist in public parks. However, when they were passed, they made very little difference, according to Dana Jones, the Director of Community Engagement and Services at Wheeler Missions. What we saw some through the summer is that many of them just moved, right? So we saw that, that movement of encampments from Seminary Park to other areas. Bloomington spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars in 2023 to clear out tent encampments from parks. That's the same amount it costs to run the local shelter a friend's place for a year. Lisa Major, an associate professor at the IU Media School who researches media framing and public policy, said that the tent ordinances don't fix anything. Right. That's not solving the problem because people have to have a place to go. And so just saying that you can't be here anymore is not solving that issue. And so I always think that, you know, if you're going to take something away, then you've got to think about what replaces that, what is going to be put in place to help people. And will it be enough? You know, what are, what are we going to do with that? And, and so it's uh, instead of really, you know, thinking about um, the arguments that people put forward about why they need to do something. I mean, I think you have to consider, OK, what what is the outcome of this going to be when you say that people can't be here anymore? OK, where then what are we doing to, to help them? Where can where can they go? When people aren't living in street homelessness, they turn to shelter homelessness. This type involves going to emergency shelters or other spaces allocated for overnight housing. According to Jones, Bloomington has many resources and spaces for unhoused people, including over 400 overnight beds. Morgan added that Bloomington has the only emergency shelters for people experiencing homelessness in this region. We have a lot more services in this area than in other counties that are more rural. Um, and so when somebody has a crisis in a neighboring county, sometimes they have to come here instead of being able to get what they need in their own community. So um, we need to all work together regionally. During winter months, unhoused people from surrounding areas make their way to Bloomington to find resources and shelters. 
In order to provide space for everyone, Wheeler Missions enters winter contingency. The winter contingency is from November 1st to March 31st uh, during those winter months, those cold winter months. And uh, Wheeler Mission is a, we have an emergency shelter services building. It's, it has a bed capacity of 84. Um, we can do overflow mats, uh, 10 additional overflow mats there, and then we can do 10 ad- additional overflow mats in our cafeteria in the building next to it. So we have uh, 104 beds available for those experiencing homelessness tonight. During the winter months, uh, we're always a low barrier, and what that means is you can come to us inebriated, uh, under the influence of anything, and we'll try to care for you as best we can. As long as you're not, as long as this person isn't harming themselves or others, uh, we'll try to keep, uh, keep them in a, in a safe, warm place for tonight. Earlier this year, Wheeler Mission's Women's Shelter closed its doors. According to Jones, this was because the 40 beds they had for women were normally only half full. When the shelter closed, many of these women went to a friend's place shelter, which put strain on their housing capacity. It's put us in a situation where, where we see more women seeking shelter, so that's, that's, that's absolutely a challenge and an issue right now. And uh, we've expanded up the number of women's beds, which, which means we've had to reduce the number of men's beds in the shelter. So, so that's, that's probably the biggest factor. We're now the only shelter only emergency shelter for women in, in our county. So that's, that's a really important thing. Actually, we're the only emergency shelter for women in our region. So that's a pretty significant need being placed upon us. Gilmore continued to say, You know, that's obviously really important for us as we move forward on this to kind of monitor it. Our priority is to shelter women in the shelter. So we continue to try and expand and shift our beds uh, to accommodate more women as we see that demand. So that's our big worry, though, that we'll see as it gets really cold, is that we'll see suddenly a a big need for women's shelter that we aren't able to handle so quickly. But we're watching and and, uh, trying to address it as best we can. Beacon Inc. is currently working to make a new shelter in the Prospect Hill District. In November, the project was approved by the Board of Zoning Appeals. However, despite the approval, there's a lot of work to be done before the project can start. Next step is we have to get through, um, we actually have to get through uh, purchasing the property um, and, and also um, get through planning. Uh, and after that, then it's into permit phase and, uh, and then groundbreaking. The current timeline is probably we'll be having a move in in the fall of 2026. But that's still a lot. There's a lot to be determined. There's a a permitting process that can take really long, can take up to a year after we get through after planning, and 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 of course we still have quite a substantial amount of money to raise in order to make it possible. So until we raise that money, there's no guarantee we'll be able to make this work. So what are the next steps to combating homelessness? Jones says the best way forward is to firstly find ways to prevent people from becoming unhoused, and secondly, to help those who are chronically homeless to get out of the cycle. We have a static, uh, pretty much static number of those experiencing homelessness. When I say static, I mean we don't have a growing population of homelessness, but we have a consistent entry into the homelessness system. But we also have a lot of people that self-resolve. In other words, they find housing, they find employment. They, this was just a blip in their life and a, a hardship in their life, and they, they move on. But then we have those who struggle with some severe mental illness and substance use disorders. 
And as I said earlier, uh, a big population of those experiencing homelessness, we're seeing more and more and more in-depth cases of severe mental illness that takes that time to resolve, and that's the real struggle, getting them to move forward. So twofold. One, the first problem is, is the deepening issues with those experiencing homelessness, which is causing barriers to care, barriers to housing, and uh, just working with them, trying to get them to make appointments and, and get consistent care and, and uh, keep them from falling through the cracks. Despite the issues, Morgan believes that Bloomington is doing well with the resources it provides to the unhoused. We have several of the shelters that are available for emergency stay. The community has case managers who work directly with people to move them quickly into housing. We have the Bloomington Housing Authority and also the South Central Community Action Program that are providing housing vouchers for people. We have a coordinated entry system, so the agencies are working together to try to identify people who are most vulnerable and put, give them priority in terms of getting them into housing. We have any number of folks who provide food, so um, I mentioned that Wheeler has three meals a day. The community kitchen serves meals. There are other organizations and churches that serve meals, and then there's in, there are individuals who provide, you know, clothing, whether that's through clothing drives or just that of their own generosity. So we do have a lot of resources available. There are still significant problems right now, even with these available resources. According to Jones, regardless of having these resources, sometimes people don't survive being homeless. But unfortunately, uh, we do occasionally, you know, we do have deaths sometimes from exposure, which is very difficult to see that happen. Protecting and helping the homeless is a major goal, but according to Major, it's a difficult one due to stigmas around homelessness. She says that people are more likely to help when they see a situation in a less stigmatized way, such as seeing unhoused people placed in housing. That images, many times, that's what people pay attention to, of course, more than they do about the text of a story. And so seeing, if you were to show an image of someone in a kind of a stigmatizing position, uh, I think that's when people focus on that and it's maybe not as helpful in terms of if you're trying to propose policy or you're trying to talk about things in a positive way. Um, we find that if you show people in uh, a situation maybe where they're working or if they're living somewhere where it's uh, it looks like it's, you know, it's it's more of a, a home or an apartment or, you know, a room, something like that, that tends to be a little bit more of a positive um, a non-stigmatizing image, and people look at that and see that as uh, a, a positive, I think, and then seem to be more open to what they're reading in terms of, or what they're watching in terms of a story. Solving homelessness isn't something that can happen overnight, but it is something that can be improved. Gilmore and Jones say that volunteering can be a major help. If you're interested in volunteering, you can learn more at the Bloomington Volunteer Network. In the long run, it will take more than volunteers to solve the issue, though. According to Major, homelessness won't be improved until policy is enacted. We need to think of, I think, more institutional ways, I think more policy that address this. I mean, some of the research shows that many people think that charity is the way to address this, but I don't think that that's going to be the way for us to, you know, significantly address this issue. 
She continued. It's it's really, I think, one of those issues where if the system, we could do a better job perhaps with providing housing for individuals and possibly also creating a system too that if we're able to provide housing, a safe place for someone to live, and we can also help with access to care. I think that's going to be you know, kind of those things that have to go together. But I mean, if we're not, I mean, I know that having a safe place to go is a critical part of this. But in the long run, if we're not getting at some of the systemic issues that lead to this, this issue to begin with, then we're not going to be able to address it, I think, in a significant way. For WFHB, this is Elise Perry. Up next, Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB, hosted and produced by Richard Fish. Fish has more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Back in the 60s, there was a song called Crystal Blue Persuasion, and I was never quite sure what that meant. But today, we're going to look at some kinds of persuasion that can make you feel not only blue, but seriously poor. Persuasion cons are a very old swindle, one where the con artist tries to persuade you of something that apparently has nothing to do with money. Once you're convinced, the money angle enters the picture as a coincidence. One classic gambit is the sweetheart swindle, or the Casanova con. The swindler develops a relationship with you, convinces you, even if it takes a long time, that it's true love, and then disappears with your money. Persuading you that he or she is in love with you is much easier from a distance, traditionally by letters, telegrams, or phone calls, and then your distant amarata needs money to settle a debt, to get out of jail, or simply to travel and be with you forever. So you cough up. After all, how could someone who loves you want to hurt you? Today, of course, email, texting, and social media have given the sweetheart swindle a huge boost. More and more con artists are discovering that they can work more suckers at once than ever before. Don't send money to someone you've never met in person, okay? Another persuasion scam is the reverse. The scam persuades you not that you're loved, but that you're cursed. Okay, this might bring on visions of a gypsy fortune teller staring into her crystal ball and demanding you cross her palm with silver. This fraud was doubtless popular way back before the Egyptians first noticed the Nile River and still hooks superstitious people even today. In the age of computers, this scam has roared back to life worldwide and you may already have fallen for it. Ever see a pop-up on your screen telling you that your computer is infected with a virus and asking you to click here to clean it? 
If you click that link, you probably will end up with an infected computer, and you could lose your personal info. In 2004, a company called Datalink Computer Products persuaded one wealthy sucker that his computer was infected, and it was a direct plot against him personally. They kept charging him for additional security services, and by the time he twigged to the truth in 2010, he had forked over millions of dollars. So let's review. A persuasion con game depends on persuading the sucker and I hope it won't be you, that something is true when it really isn't, and it doesn't appear to have anything to do with money at first. So anytime anybody, especially someone you've just met, tries to persuade you, check out what they're saying yourself if you can. And if you can't, be skeptical. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Elise Perry. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at wfhb.org. 
You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local longer 